something that I struggled with a lot as a new professional and like towards the end started to like really own a little bit more is like don't stop shining because someone is scared of your light and like Mm. many people are so good at what they do and have really great talents and skills and I think there's some like natural intimidation around that and natural competition that happens in a village that's so close and induce a lot of passion um and so just I don't know like really own that because that's Mm. important it will make you you in the world Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. Today, we're talking about the new professional experience. Each of our guests was recommended as someone who was a great new professional, even though many of our guests, and maybe none of them, uh, are still calling themselves new professional. They've evolved past that point. I'm excited to share their insights, wisdom, and lessons learned to help others who are or are about to be new professionals in higher ed navigate that experience successfully for themselves and for others. I'm so excited to learn from each of you. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. This episode is sponsored by Leadershape. Go to leadershape.org to learn how they can work with you to create a more just, caring, and thriving world. This episode is also sponsored by Vector Solutions, formerly EverFi, the trusted partner for more than 2,000 colleges and universities. Vector Solutions is the standard of care for student safety, well-being, and inclusion. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a speaker, consultant, and coach, and you can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. I'm broadcasting from Minneapolis, Minnesota at the, in, at the intersections of the ancestral homelands of the Dakota and the Ojibwe peoples. Let's get to the conversation. I'm so grateful to have you all joining us here today. Uh, let's start with introductions and Miles, we're gonna have you kick us off. All right, thanks Keith. Hello everyone. My name is Miles Merrow, uh, he, him pronouns, and I currently serve as the Assistant Director for Residence Life at the University of Oregon. Um, I've been here for about six years and kind of my ascension to my, my current role has evolved through about three, three positions. I started off as a hall director, then due to FLSA that quickly changed to a community director. Uh, and over time I have been able to, you know, again, become an assistant director for residence life, namely with student leader development and training, um, and our diversity equity and initiative uh, initiatives for our, our department. Um, I think for me, some, some initial things that I'll, I'll share about my experience, I still do consider myself a new professional, especially the way that the pandemic has impacted, um, just my, my matriculation and ascension into my role. Um, and, you know, initially I'll, I'll say remain curious, you know, remain curious and seek opportunities where they come up. Thank you. That's great. Thank you so much. I'm excited to to hear more. Quinn, let's uh, learn a little bit more about you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Miles, for <laughs> kicking us off also. Uh, so yeah, hi, everyone. I'm really excited to be with here. P here with you. Uh, my name is Quinn Foster. I use the pronouns they and them. And I currently serve as the director of student organizations uh, in our Center for Student Engagement here at Georgia Tech, um, not Georgia Tech University, uh, Georgia Institute of Technology. Um, I started out in the world of student affairs in a somewhat non-traditional trajectory. Um, while I, I knew that I wanted to go into uh, student affairs, as happens for so many of us, uh, that catalyst happened for me when I was an undergrad um, at a small women's college. I also knew that I was really passionate and that my, my sort of home base uh, was doing DEI work. Uh, so with that in mind, I didn't go to uh, the typical master's program in higher ed administration or things like that. Instead, I went to Georgia State uh, where I got my master of arts in women's gender and sexuality studies. Uh, so that was a slightly different <laughs> trajectory for me. Um, but my journey at Georgia Tech started um, when I was at Georgia State getting my master's in women's gender and sexuality studies. Um, I started off in the LGBTQIA Resource Center. Uh, I thought at the time that was exactly where I wanted to stay. It felt comfortable in my DEI realm where I, where I thought I needed to be. Um, so I was a little concerned uh, when I graduated, as happens to GAs, you graduate, you can't, <laughs> can't be a GA anymore. I uh, needed a new gig, right? So 
a position for our administrative professional came open in the Center for Student Engagement. And I was like, I guess that sounds okay. Like students are cool. I want to be, I want to be working with students directly. Um, and what I have found over years moving from administrative professional to our coordinator of student organizations and now as the director of student orgs uh, is actually all the meaningful, powerful DEI work that I'm passionate about is happening in student organizations and student activism. So that's how I got here. Uh, I'm really excited to, to be with y'all. Thanks for letting me join. Awesome. So glad you're here, Quinn. And I don't know that we've ever had two cues on. So we go from Quinn to Quan. Very special, completely unintentional. Quan, tell us a little bit more about you. Yes. Hi, my name is Quan. My pronoun is he and him and his. Uh, I am currently the LGBTQ program coordinator with the Gender Inequality Center at the University of Oklahoma. Um, and uh, I started out in uh, residence life um, as, you know, when I in entered the field, um, moved on from the graduate student, uh, started new role as a curriculum coordinator um, at the residence life in University of Oklahoma. And then uh, I transitioned to uh, the program coordinator within the LGBTQ programs um, at our Gender and Equality Center right the pandemic hit. So um, I remember my first day was the day that the university shut down. And so I get to work remotely. It's not your fault. The, it's not your fault. No, nope, it's, it's not, not my fault. <laughs> um, and uh, so I get to start my job remotely um, for the first five months. So that was, a, you know, a joy. And um, luckily, I have been involved with the center as an undergraduate student and um, worked um, with the center, um, with my practicum as a graduate student. Uh, so I've been a longtime supporter for the program. So luckily, the onboarding process is a little bit easier uh, than someone who coming from, you know, outside of the institution. Uh, and I'm also currently a, a doctoral candidate uh, in the program uh, of adult higher ed at the University of Oklahoma as well. Awesome. Awesome. Glad you're here, Quan. And Carson, tell us a little bit about you. Congrats about that program, Quan. That's awesome. Um, my name is Carson. She, her pronouns. I currently serve as a special assistant to the vice president for student affairs, which is very similar role to like a chief of staff um, for our division. And I just finished my sixth year in the role or in the field. And I previously served in residence life, similar to you, Quan, like kind of the curriculum programming person. Um, and then after that, I did leadership, um, just like leadership development for students. And it was more of like a consulting like role for programs and people who are doing training. So I felt like it was really specialized compared to my curriculum role, which involved like knowing a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. um, but all of my experience has been at James Madison University. So I've been here since grad school, um, went to grad school here. Um, and have gotten lots of experience um, getting to know people here. Um, mm -hmm. But my role now does like a little bit of everything, event planning, programming, policy updates, delivering good and bad news, um, and supporting our VP and leadership teams. So excited mm -hmm. to be here. That's awesome. Well, a theme that I, I just noticed as you're doing introductions is longevity at the same institution, right? University of Oregon, Oklahoma, Georgia Tech, JMU. Um, and I think that's that's a testament, you know, people recommended you, right? Said, these are people who've been great new professionals. And when you're a great new professional, you navigate that complexity well. They want you to keep staying and you can move into other roles. And all of you have had multiple positions and multiple roles as you go through that. So I'm really glad you're all here. Um, let's dive in a bit deeper. You all again gave a very succinct, brief version of your experience to this point. But I'd love to hear from each of you uh, three key lessons that you've learned maybe before being a new professional during that experience, or maybe looking back on it, if you do look back on it. Um, we really want to offer this to the audience that might help uh, folks who are new professionals, maybe struggling, or maybe folks who are about to. Um, so just love for to hear some of your stories and some of your insights. Um, and Carson, we're going to continue with you. No pressure. What are some, some three key lessons here that you might want to offer to folks that might be helpful to them? Yeah, I think well, and it's different for everyone. So I think that's super important as we like potentially fish out some thoughts, <laughs> mm -hmm. figure out what's going to work for you. Um, but I think the first thing that I thought about was like, say yes. Um, as a coordinator in, in the ORL, my role, you know, could be a lot of things and residence life naturally collaborates with a lot of different areas. Um, and so when the opportunities present itself, I would just be like, yeah, sure, I'll learn about that or I'll be on the accountability boards for our student conduct. Why not? Like, I don't have that experience. 
Um, but it naturally brought me together like with a lot of different people in our division, which is about 300 people that I probably wouldn't have gotten to know else like in another way. And so like that trust and credibility built up just like in those informal and voluntarily relationships. And so I thought, think that's so important. And it kind of brings to like the relationships are just so important in, in all what we do in, in, in everyday life, right? And so I think the honoring and valuing people for work they do, I'm like a big thank you note person. And so like, you know, even for the big and even just like the really little things, showing people that you care um, is kind of like my second piece about relationships um, really goes a long way. And you don't realize how many people maybe don't get that on their day to day in the work. And so I think that's super important. Um, and like with that, say yes, and relationships, like anytime there was like a birthday lunch and they divide, like invited our department or anytime we had like a soup competition in residence life, I just said yes and went. Um, but those like natural built the foundation for like relationships that, you know, you end up using a lot and actually have helped me so much in my current role. People who, yeah, we like ate chicken noodle soup, um, but like she's incredible at IT. So she can help me out when I know nothing about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my third thing would probably be something that I struggled with a lot as a new professional and like towards the end started to like really own a little bit more is like, don't stop shining because someone is scared of your light. And like mm-hmm. many people are so good at what they do and have really great talents and skills. And I think there's some like natural intimidation around that and natural competition that happens in a village that's so close and does a lot of passion. Um, and so just, I don't know, like really own that because that's mm-hmm. important. It will make you, you in the world. Mm-hmm. Is there an example, Carson, of a, of a time that that happened for you where you're like, I don't want to shine too bright or I'm, I'm intimidated or a little shy about it? Oh gosh, I'm not good at that at all. So I think that's why I look back. <laughs> it's like that happened quite a lot. I think I'm a natural overachiever, which I've started to own more about myself. Mm-hmm. But I think people would be like, she's everywhere. And I'm like, oh, I shouldn't be everywhere. But then I was like, I enjoy doing that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, yes and no. And maybe not great moments of coming over that until recently. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just noticing uh, so much of what you're sharing is less about the work than it is about the relationship and the connection and the context. And I think something that I got caught up in that didn't serve me well as a new professional is being so focused on the work and being competent and proving myself mostly to myself, but I would outsource that to other people um, that I didn't tend to the relationships and the connections. And I think that that was a big missed opportunity and um, didn't, didn't serve me as well as, as what I'm hearing you describe. Uh, Quinn, what would you like to add? What are what are some key lessons that that you're thinking about as you look back? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I love to hold it down as the second person. Just mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a great, it's a good place for me to be. Um, so I think that mine, kind of like Carson's, are very relational based, and like you were picking up on Keith. Um, the first one that comes to mind, and I, I actually it makes me laugh a lot because I work in the realm of like student activities, student organizations, right? Um, and when I am thinking about being in a new place, uh, not only can I apply that to students who are coming to campus for the first time, nervous, it's such a, such a big transitory moment for them. Um, but, it, you know, the same things that I would say to my students, I would share with new professionals, uh, get connected, <laughs> right? Like this is a new place. Um, when you left high school and, and went to undergrad, you didn't know who to eat lunch with. As a new professional coming to campus, you don't know who to eat lunch with and it's nerve wracking. And who are your people? Where do you belong? Um, generally speaking, getting involved and getting connected to people, um, to your colleagues, to your peers, to folks who you don't think are your direct colleagues uh, who might surprise you, right? Um, is It's just such a pivotal and foundational part of the experience for me. And I think generally it will increase or accelerate your level of comfort or of connectedness um, with the work that you're doing and also with the people uh, that you're doing the work with. Uh, the second thing that uh, I was thinking about is there's this really great quote uh, from Mr. Rogers. I'm going to butcher the quote, so I apologize. But he essentially is talking about when he was a young boy and he would see scary things in the news, right? And he would turn to his mom and his mom would say, uh, look for the helpers, right? Mm -hmm. There are always people uh, who who are helping. Um, And I think as a new professional, it can be really intimidating. Again, there are so many things happening in the world outside of our institutions that we're bringing in um, that we may or may, may or may not be able to, to give space to when we're in our professional roles. Um, 
there may be things on campus that are really deeply affecting you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I think one of the big lessons I learned was to look for the helpers. Um, I'll give an example of this. So in 2017, that uh, was the year that I had transitioned out of being the graduate assistant in the LGBTQI Research Center, where I'd worked really closely with our queer and trans students. Um, and I had started working in the Center for Student Engagement, again, as that admin professional. That was the year that we had a police shooting that uh, ended in the death of one of our students, who was a queer, intersex activist, uh, the president of Pride Alliance, the name is Scout. And at the time, I was just totally devastated. I was... Mm the prince of new professionalism. <laughs> and I was like, how, how do I, how do I be a trans and queer person on this campus um, in the light of police brutality and also show up as, uh, as a person who's supposed to be supporting my students. Mm-hmm. And the lesson that I learned as a new professional was really looking for the helpers. They came out of the woodwork. They were folks who I never thought <laughs> were going to be the helpers maybe people who I thought might even be antagonistic, right? Or who might not share the same feelings or opinions or create space uh, for me. So looking for the helpers as a new professional was a good lesson learned. Um, And then the third thing that I was going to mention um, was that you shouldn't be afraid to stay. As this was something Mm -hmm. I didn't know Look at all the head nods you just got on that one. Uh, yeah. Clearly biased so, on that one just a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah, I would love I would love to hear what y'all have to say, but it was something that I didn't know because I didn't come from a higher ed master's program. That there's this like time this timeline we don't write down, but we all know it that you're gonna go be a coordinator for two maximum three years, and then you need to move institutions maybe across the country to go be an assistant director for another two to five years. Right? There's this sort of uh, rat race that we've created in higher education. But I think what I've learned being at tech for seven years, um, this will be my seventh year, it's don't be afraid to stay. If, if there's anything worth doing in higher education, it's going to take you a few years to get it done. And mostly that's because you're building the institutional knowledge, but also back to the theme of relationships, it's getting people on side, getting people in your corner, building those bridges um, to make the the important work happen. So yeah, I'd love to hear like what were the head nods <laughs> that we saw from folks about like not like about staying. Don't be afraid to stay. They've all yeah. stayed. Mm-hmm. I can hop in. I think it's so much of that like one. There's some comfortability, right? Like you know some of the people and the players in the game, and that's just like kind of nice. But I think there's some really nice pieces of like building on and seeing the cycles, you know, like we talk about these four to five year cycles in higher ed and it's kind of nice to see them and then see things change and then see things change with the generations of students at like kind of in the same environment and scope. Mm-hmm. And so at least for me, that's like some of the driving force. Mm-hmm. I can also chime in as well. Um, like just, it, so one of my thing uh, to talk about to new professional is that like, you're not going to make, like the first two years of your job, you're there to learn, right? Um, I, when I started in the pandemic, uh, I was jokingly with my supervisor, which is like, I need two years of grace, um, the first year because it's a pandemic. And then the second year is because, you know, post-pandemic, post-pandemic, <laughs> whatever that means. Um, but like, you know, like we, we are really um, a learner in the first two years, learn about institutional culture, department, so like, um, you know, I think a lot of time uh, when having conversation with graduate students specifically, they're like, I'm going to change the entire field. I'm going to change the entire institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they get really discouraged in the first two years. And I'm like, well, I didn't change anything. And I was like, well, I don't know if you're, you know, like you can enact change at like, you know, at your level. Also, don't afraid to enact change. But also in the first two years, a lot of us spend time really learning about what are our student needs, what are the culture of our, you know, institution, departments. And um, so, you know, with staying with one role for multiple years is that, like Carson said, you see um, the cycle of student, but also you get to get to enact the change that you wanted, right? Um, uh, long-term change um, as well. So I really identify with that. I think that's really important because I think most people are undergrads for four, maybe five years. Then you're a grad student for maybe two or three years. And then you're, if you're in this new professional for three years, it can often feel like the change has to happen in that time frame. And if it doesn't happen in that time frame, then I have failed. Mm-hmm. But I watched Dean strategically navigate transgender issues, preferred name, pronouns, benefits 
on a 10-year arc with the city, with the state, other partners, other colleges, all of this stuff, and watching him have the sort of this real push over a long period of time and then watching other people like well if it doesn't happen by may when i leave for another job then it's complete failure and you failed and all of this and so just i think having that broader scope of time particularly around change um is is, i think a really valuable insight Mm -hmm. miles what were you gonna add yeah i was gonna share some of the same anecdotes that others have shared you know i've been at university of oregon again for six years and I'll be honest, there were times where, you know, I was thinking, I have to leave. I have to get back to Virginia. Shout out to, to, to Carson. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I think about over the years, what I have thought about is, you know, what is a healthy level of discomfort for me? Because mm-hmm. I think there is a point where, you know, sometimes you do have to decide if staying at an institution is best for you. And what is a healthy level of discomfort, you know, um, are some of the challenges and the gaps and discrepancies and dissonance that I'm experiencing, is it resolvable? You know, is it reconcilable? Um, what can I continue to learn, you know, from, from, from the experiences that I, that I'm having. And, you know, for me in staying at university of Oregon, um, the, the, just the relationships that I've been able to develop to help me reconcile some of the distance that I was having, has been, uh, you know, invaluable for my, 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 my growth. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I'll share again, what is the, the, the level of discomfort you're willing to have, you know, at an institution and is that beneficial for your, your growth as a professional? Yeah. I think that's incredibly what? insightful, Miles, and something I'm going to keep thinking about, but just, I think that level of discomfort, especially when you come from any kind of marginalized background, is like really good to protect yourself in some ways, and sometimes that has to be from an institution. Right. And I think we have to not be fooled, like, that the next place we go won't have any discomfort, right? <laughs> right? That these, these, all these institutions are imperfect. Every organization has a gap between their espoused values and their enacted values, and how do we navigate that? But then also knowing, you know, what what can I tolerate? What's my healthy level of discomfort for even growth? Mm-hmm. And then, no, this is a deal breaker. Mm-hmm. This this is not good for me. This is not going to contribute to my growth and development. This is doing harm. And to know that difference rather than just feel the discomfort and feel like I should move automatically. That's really insightful. I think that has been a conversation for, for many of us uh, in student affairs throughout the pandemic. You know, one of the things that I thought about often, and I'll talk a little bit about this more, is, uh, you know, ethics and journaling and how that became a, not only a a coping mechanism throughout the pandemic, but a, you know, a a way for me to continue to grow. One of the things that I thought about often was, if I leave University of Oregon, am I going into another department that's having the same challenges, you know, that, that we are? And, um, you know, again, if I'm leaving for the discomfort, am I, is the, the, the comfort that I'm experiencing being at another institution going to be short-lived as we begin to reconcile, right, the, the pandemic experience? You know, um, some, some of the, the, the things that I thought about throughout the last two or so years. Well, and I think you're talking about maybe the same challenges at different institutions. I think then sometimes it's not the institution, it's us. I was just talking with a a very senior student affairs leader who said, you know, I'm having all these problems at my current institution. It's very overwhelming. I'm working nights, I'm working weekends. It's not sustainable. It's completely, and and I said, "I, I hear that. And at the last job, it was the same thing. The only thing they have in common is you. It might be you. And he was like, I know, (laughs) I know it's not the organization. It's just, this is how I do that. So I think sometimes what are we carrying with us? What patterns or habits, even ones that don't serve us very well, we can carry them from institution to institution and noticing some of that shift. I know Quan, I skipped over you. I got so excited to hearing from Quinn. So go ahead. What are are three lessons uh, for you? Uh, that you want to share with with new professionals? Yeah, um, well, like Carson and Quinn shared so many good things, uh, so I'm trying to come up with um, a few more new things. But one of the first things that I want to talk about is managing up. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, like, you know, uh, people don't usually think of um, how many people supervisor have to manage people. So, like, sometimes, you know, sometimes 
the ratio can be like one to five or one to seven. I've been seeing pretty common. I've seen department or one to 20. Yeah. One to 20. Um, uh, and so understanding, you know, your supervisor communication style, working style, strength, and really be able to like adapt and work with them. Um, so it not only set them up for success, but also allow them to supervise you in the way that best fit your needs. Right. Um, I think, like you said earlier, Keith, like a lot of times student uh, or new professional coming from, you know, as a student leader background, as a student leaders in even their graduate degree, right? Um, but now they get to be in a professional role and certainly sometimes the expectation change a little bit. Um, um, uh, a metaphor that, you know, uh, sometimes people use is that uh, sometimes as professional, um, we're like, you know, like the duck, the like, you know, pretty um uh calm up in the water but then the feet would just like keep moving and sometimes students don't get to see that and sometimes now entering the field is the first time that they get to see like oh you work that much or like that show or like that event that you put on like you don't just show up whenever the event set is gonna start right um and uh, now is their time to kind of get introduced to that so also managing their expectation of like well now i you can't have the same expectation as a student leaders and wait for, you know, professional staff to check in on you. And, you know, now you have to take on initiatives and um, adapt, really build up that professional identity uh, for yourself. Um, it's like really important. Um, and my second uh, nugget would be um, somewhere along theory and practice. Um, I think a lot of time, um, my colleague, right, after they graduate their degree and then they go to their new, new professional and then they're like, oh, I don't need to use any of the theory anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm um, just going to, you know, um, do all these things, very administrative stuff. And I get why, right? Like we have to deal with day-to-day things. Uh, but I think it's a healthy level of like, you know, we need to kind of understand where new theory comes in and where is it helpful. I am also very aware that I'm saying this as a also doc student <laughs> so I love theory and I love um but you know I think that practice um that has been informed by theory um is so beneficial for student um it's also sad as a scholars when you produce um scholarship and the average um you know reader for a scholarship is like what three people per article or something like that or never um so you know like I, I think that there's a bridge that we need to build there as both scholar side and also practitioner side right um, we have to continuously inform ourselves um, on what the current trends and be the continuous learner. Um, I think a lot of um, the people on the call here have talked about, you know, being the learner within their own space, learning the uh, culture of your department, uh, learning the culture within um, your institution and where you are. And uh, But also, we also have to be the learner within the field. What is the best practices right now? Uh, what are some conversation surrounding especially in under research field right so uh, mm-hmm. queer and trans support queer and trans student uh, student of color student with uh, multiple marginalized identity uh, we have to be on top of those conversations in order to kind of best supporting our students um, mm-hmm. and um, last and uh, it's probably um, you know be active in your own professional development I think um, you know a lot of time I see my colleagues or a student entering in the field have talked about, well, you know, like this institution, they won't pay for me to go to, you know, expensive convention or conferences, but also, um, you know, they didn't really count the one that the institution that are putting on for them, right? So of the workshop that your HR department, of the lunch and learn, of the things. So take advantage of small things um, and also kind of, you know, doing some backward designing um, from where you want to be professionally, maybe um, if, you know, I've seen student or people entering the field and just say, like, I want to be dean of student one day. Great. How do I, what skill do they need? How do I um, use this opportunity uh, professionally to kind of build, um, you know, the skill that I need in order to achieve the dream job one day, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes those dream job changes um, and things like that, uh, more, more often than not. Um, but yeah, so how, how do we become proactive in our, our own professional development, given the resources that we're given, right? Um, so we don't have to um, um, just wait for like, oh, I'm just going to 
only view as you know big convention as um, the professional development space. Right. I, something that you didn't say, but really was a thread through all of that was, I really heard you saying, you know, advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. wait and see if your supervisor is going to supervise you in a way that you need, but say, this is how I want to be supervised. This is what I need. Uh, don't wait and see how much money you have for your professional development, but what are all the other opportunities I can take advantage of that are here, that are going on in other ways, things like this, which are free to engage in uh, and doing, but really that, um, and I think that self-advocacy is is a good idea and it needs to be artfully done. So you don't look mm-hmm. selfish and self-focused, but how do you advocate for yourself um, because you want to learn, you want to grow, you want to contribute, and this is what I need, and this is how you can help me, um, and that managing up. Uh, you all were, were suggested, because we were having a conversation about an episode on leading from the middle, and you all were suggested, which is why we're having this conversation, um, but that ability to lead the people above you, as well as the people below you, and then the people that, who are your peers at all these different levels um, yeah. is a really critical skill. Yeah, I'd love to suggest a pro tip Keith for what you were saying just now of like Mm -hmm. um, advocacy has to be artfully done so you don't necessarily look selfish or self-serving one phenomenal way to you know really drive that pro dev train (laughs) and make it seem as if you're not just the conductor is to bring people with you like Mm -hmm. pack other people on that train I want to go to this training amazing how many other colleagues would also be interested in that conversation, right? We want to have the speaker come to campus. Phenomenal. How many butts can I get in seats, right? Yeah. For that session um, can really be a great way to, to get the thing that you're looking for. Also, you get the added bonus of organizing it, right? Um, without right. looking as if it's just for you. It's not right. just and then thing. it's about the issue or it's about the learning or it's about the, the focus rather than about, I want this, right? And the benefits to so many people, including ultimately the students a really great example of doing that. Uh, Miles, you chimed in with a few thoughts along the way, but I want to come back to you. What are some of the, the three key lessons that you'd like to share with others? Yeah, um, you know, Quan and I, where our minds are existing in the same multiverse, <laughs> you know, there's so many of the, the points that Quan had hit on that um, were, were things for me. And now I'll go back to me, uh, go back to something that Quan had shared is, you know, uh, continue to engage in, 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 in a praxis, you know, being a scholar practitioner. I think this is very important for those who are coming out of graduate school. You know, once you graduate, do not throw all those graduate materials away. You know, use that in your, your, your first professional roles you know, as a way to continue to engage or, or even re-engage, you know, learning. Um, one of the things that I found instrumental when I first became a hall director at the University of Oregon was to take that grad material and use it as if my first professional role was an uh, assistantship. Mm-hmm. You know, what ways can I go back and I look at the, the topics and the course materials that we've covered and apply that to, um, you know, being a hall director? Can I apply that to advising and supporting students? Can I apply that to, you know, conduct adjudication? I think the other thing that was important is that uh, for me, when I was in graduate school, my assistantship was in multicultural student affairs. So being a hall director was a brand new experience for me. Um, so really taking that, that course material that I had and re-engaging it and applying it to, you know, being a hall director, I found uh, you know, instrumental in my, my learning and development, mm-hmm. um, you know, that first year. Um, I think going along with that is finding mentors, both Mm. internal to the institution as well as external to the institution um and i think you can even break that down into categories for example for me one of the things that i've always tried to maintain is having a mentor who is in uh, academia um you know some of my graduate professors I, i still maintain as mentors having a mentor that is in administration um has an administrative background Seeking a mentor that is at the institution or has been at the institution for a long time. And something else that this is a new one for me that I started um, was seeking mentor relationships with people who had um, opposite and or dominant identities that were uh, opposite of the identities that I possessed. And 
one of the reasons that I found that beneficial is that it helped me to understand perspectives that I might be meeting or coming up against, you know, in my own professional work. Um, but men men mentorship is a, a, a beautiful thing. Um, and, you know, especially again for graduate students, I would encourage you all to seek mentorship out, you know, again, both internal and external to, you know, your university and or um, your functional area, you know, your, your field of choice. Um, so many of you all had hit on this before, but professional development is also important. I think oftentimes we think of professional development as being the conference experience, um, you know, predominantly your, your NASPA or your ACPA, ACPA, maybe your ASH or your NACADA. And as Quan had shared, think about the professional development experience that can come internally, you know, at your institution, um, whether this is things that your human resources is putting on, or maybe it might be a program that your dean of students is doing or your advising office. Um, also think about how experiences that you might not initially think are applicable to your work might be transferable um, to a future career field. Maybe it is that you are a advisor and you are thinking about, you know, translate transitioning to support services, you know, if there is a training on, you know, assist or suicide prevention, that might be an applicable training. Let's say you are a hall director and you want to go specifically into, um, let's say, uh, conduct, um, respondent services, uh, training on that might be uh, applicable. Um, supporting survivors might be an applicable training trainings around crucial conversations or crucial dialogue. You know, if your institution provides that, might be beneficial training. So, you know, again, not only think of professional development as being external or conference-oriented, but, you know, those experiences that you might get from a MyTrack or, a, you know, some type of institutional software that does its internal professional development and or, uh, you know, seeing if you might be, have, be able to have an auxiliary appointment or, um a, a, a shadowing experience at another office, you know, on campus can be, um, can, can be, be beneficial in my experience. Um, I think the, 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 the last thing is regularly engaging ethics. This is both your, your personal ethics as well as institutional ethics. Um, Engage your ethics as if it was a, a daily journal. Mm -hmm. So I think oftentimes in our work, especially for us with underrepresented identities, we, we experience a number of different challenges, gaps and discrepancies or points of dissonance. Um, if we do not have a village or if we don't have mentors, oftentimes we're holding on to the, you know, those experiences. They don't, we don't necessarily have an outlet. Um, and there's a need for us to process what we're, what we're experiencing. And one of the ways that I found doing that is thinking about what is of personal value to me, you know, ethically and things that I want to espouse and enact in my work. And what are the, the ethics of the institution or the espoused values and missions, you know, mission statements of the institution, where they align, where they differ, and how I might resolve them. Um, a lot of that has been through mentorship, you know, different perspectives again. Um, but again, you know, in, in, engaging your ethics daily, um, both your personal ethics and your professional ethics and, you know, treating it like a, a journal experience. You know, something that you're writing and dialoguing on and reflecting on regularly. Um, I've just, you know, again, just been beneficial you know, um, experiences and, and praxis that I've, that I've used over the last couple of years. That's a, that's a great reminder, a powerful reminder. I also love what you're saying about mentoring. I recently learned about um, organizations that assign each new employee a peer mentor and a hierarchical mentor, mm -hmm. a mentor that is way ahead in the organization and way ahead in the career and can kind of give you the broad scope and sort of the journey, but then also someone who's basically at your level, but has been here a year or two can be like, this is how this works. <laughs> um, and you, 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 uh, you know, those are two different ways of thinking about mentorship. I think you offered us for, and, and I also love that you're coming back to the learning because 
how you apply that learning when you were a grad student in a, an assistantship, you can apply the same learning and it'll mean something completely different to you, right? right. If you're in a different institution, a different context, different functional area. And, and if you, even if all of that is the same, you're different, right? You see mm-hmm. the world differently than you did then. You think about it differently and you're engaging with different people. Um, well, we, we are running out of time. I just want to see, we, we had each of you share. I want to see if each of you, any quick thoughts as you listen to uh, your colleagues here share, anything else you want to add that we haven't gotten a chance to mention yet? Quan, anything you want to add? Um, uh, I think one quick thing I want to add is um, don't be afraid to enact change Don't um, at your level. I think that's something that you said um, frequently, Keith, is that, you know, you um, have people coming. It's like, well, I can't wait until I'm an AD or director to make changes. You can make changes at your own level um, and you can influence um, other, you know, don't feel pressure to, do, to yeah. you know, change the entire field, but also uh, knowing that you have the ability and power to do so. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll share a little bit more since you mentioned that, but I, I, I talk to hall directors and they all say, you know, when I'm a VP, it'd be so great. I can do all these things when I'm a VP, when I'm a VP, when I'm a VP, I can finally make a difference. And then you sit with VPs and they all go, remember when we were hall directors and what we did really mattered. And all we do now is go to meetings and do the budget. And, but that's when we really made a difference. So I think we all kind of undersell the power of the role and the influence and the impact that we have. So. Carson, what do you want to add here that maybe we hadn't mentioned yet? I think, okay, I might have two, it's just cheating. One of the things with the professional development is like finding a really good organization system. So like I went through like the Covey's like five choices curriculum and that like changed my life in terms Mm -hmm. of like what I could prioritize and get done each day, which I think just helps you, yeah, manage everything that comes your way. So you have all the time to change the world and change within your, like within your scope. And I think the last piece that I, I asked someone before I came on the podcast is like to provide me something of why I might even be in this podcast. And one of the things that they shared was to be honest and like transparent, not only like with yourself and the identities that you bring into a space, but also with colleagues in like a kind and, and like really good way. And so I didn't really realize until they said that, that a lot of people come to me for feedback about like, yeah, how they may be talked in the meeting or presented, um, and I think people are scared to give people honest feedback, but it helps your colleagues grow and then you build trust with them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I encourage people to do, like find that champion and somebody that will give you the honest feedback and also find somebody that you can trust to give back to. So I think that's a really important kind of peer relationship that can go a long way. Mm-hmm. You're reminding me of uh, our Gen Z conversation where I learned that um, Gen Xers like me, we like to be told what the job is and then we'd like to go do it and be left alone, right? And Gen Z really wants more feedback, more input because they want to learn and grow and do better. So they don't mess it up on a grand scale, right? Don't make the big mistakes, right? And so really, uh, I, I want to challenge other folks um, who are directors or in other roles that uh, a younger generation really does want more feedback about what they're doing well, about what they could do better. They really want more of that. And I think that's been um, really helpful for me. I'm thinking about Nat Ambrosi, our production assistant, who always wants more feedback. I'm like, it's going great. She's like, no, I really want more feedback about how it could be better. So that's been, uh, that's been helpful. Miles, what do you want to add that maybe hasn't been quite named yet? What would you want to add to this? Yeah. Um... You know, Carson and Quinn had a hint hit, hit on this about, you know, developing relationships. So mm-hmm. what I would say to anyone, especially those that might be uh, in entry level roles or transitioning into what we might call a mid-level role, um, is to be a rainbow in someone's cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so much of us have to, to get to where we are now. We've leaned on other other folks and we've learned from other folks. If you're able to reciprocate that, you know, be a rainbow in someone else's cloud. Um, I think two is for those of us who have underrepresented identities, um, wrestle with stereotype threat and imposter syndrome. Um, you know, be agentic in your experience and know your, your light, have your light, see your light, shine, you know, in, in your roles. Um, 
I think the, the last thing I'll share is again, for those who are of us who are in entry-level roles or mid-level roles is that accountability is an act of love and reciprocity. Um, mm. Let's share those nuggets. That's great. That's great. Quinn, any thoughts you have here before we move to our last question? Yeah, I think, um, so I, I've started a doctoral program. It, I've been in it like two weeks, so it's very new. Um, you may not be surprised to learn that it's still not in higher ed administration. It's, right. <laughs> uh, I don't know what it is. I'm going to stay in the field and study. Well, you're finding time. value in what you're learning, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so the, the thing that I'm thinking about, and again, I'm two weeks in, um, but there's this concept that we've been talking about in class about um, the I-shaped professional. So imagine like a capital I, right? Just a vertical line that in the workplace, a lot of us have an incredible depth of knowledge in our areas, right? Maybe it's student development theory, maybe it's feminist theory, maybe it's accounting, whatever it is, right? Um, and the challenge is if you take a bunch of I's, right? A bunch of just vertical lines, you put us in a circle, we're not gonna, we're not gonna touch. We're not gonna get a lot of connection or engagement amongst these vertical lines, right? But instead, and this was the point that I'm thinking about, I think I wish I had had in my pocket as a, as a new professional, is uh, what if we tried to focus on a T-shaped professional, right? We're thinking about ourselves, not just as you've got this incredible depth of knowledge, like you learned so many things in undergrad and grad school, you are ready to do the job, you are equipped. Um, but the thing that's going to bring you joy in your job, or the thing that's going to um, make you want to stick around or build those connections is that horizontal access. It's, mm -hmm. can you have difficult conversations and give people awesome feedback? Um, can you celebrate yourself and shine bright, right? Or uh, fight imposter syndrome in yourself and connecting with one another. Mm -hmm. um, so I think for me, really focusing not just on the awesome background that you've got, the depth of knowledge, but connecting with other folks and trusting yourself that uh, those connections are going to be yeah. the thing that keeps you here. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, we are just about out of time. Uh, the podcast is called Student Affairs Now. We always like to end on this question. What are each of you thinking, troubling, or pondering now? It might be something related to this conversation or just something that you're really thinking about. And if you want to share where folks can connect with you, uh, feel free to go ahead and do that. Uh, so Quinn, what are you troubling now? I think um, to touch a little bit on what Miles was saying and, and some of the themes that have come up in our conversation, uh, there's this really lovely quote by Audre Lorde, who is a, a Black feminist scholar, uh, Black feminist warrior, poet, mother, uh, was often how she described herself. Um, and this quote is, uh, your silence will not protect you. So that's something I'm thinking a lot about these days is when am I showing up or not showing up? Um, when am I trying to use my silence as a shield when maybe it's not protecting me as much as I thought? So uh, definitely check out some Audre Lorde poetry or uh, her anthology, Sister Outsider, is a great place to start. Thank you, Quinn. Thank you. Miles, what are you pondering now? You know, th throughout the, the podcast, I kept coming back to another Maya Angelou quote for me, um, not a direct translation, but she says, I am human, therefore nothing human can be alien to me. Um, I was thinking about that again, you know, as, as many of the co-hosts have shared you know, we've been at our institutions for a number of years and a number of different roles. Um, anything is possible. Anything is possible. And, you know, continue to be agentic in your experiences. Mm -hmm. Great. Carson, what would you, what's troubling you now? What are you pondering? Oh, goodness. I think I'm just sitting here like with you all wonderful people thinking like how much there is to learn from y'all. <laughs> so I'm like, I'll definitely be reaching out. It's been great to get mm -hmm. to this first experience <laughs> with you. So I'm thinking about that and just like how important you can learn from so many stories and, and that reciprocates. I'm thinking about what you said, but in like sharing yourself in certain spaces as is important because this it's hard to separate work and life. And, and I think it's really important that we integrate in a positive balanced way. Um, and there's like a lot of value to that. So I appreciate you all sharing your stories too. Yeah. And Quan, what are you uh, pondering or troubling now? Yeah. Um, so, you know, with, especially with recent um, events that are happening across the nations, um, we're dealing with a lot of, um, you know, um, tragedy. Um, and as student affairs professional, I think that we are called to respond, um, right? Like take a very um, uh, a reactive role in, you know, making sure that our students are do doing okay. 
Um, and sometimes we engage with a lot of like trauma. Um, and I wonder, especially with, you know, with my role as LGBTQ programs, right? How, what would higher education look like? What does student affairs look like if we center joy and, you know, futurity and safety and love? Um, liberation. And liberation. How, what, what does that look like? Um, so I'm uh, pondering that in both my, um, you know, as a practitioner and also in my scholarship as well. Um, so I'm excited to continue to explore that further. Awesome. Well, thanks to each of you so much for being here and for joining us. This has been terrific. I think so many folks will find this really helpful as they're in new professionals or about to be, or even folks who are beyond that experience. As you mentioned, Carson, this is really valuable. So thanks to each of you. And thanks to our sponsors of today's episode, Leadershape and Vector Solutions. Leadershape partners with colleges and universities to create transformational experiences, both virtual and in-person for students and professionals, with a focus on creating a more just, caring, and thriving world. Leadershape offers experiences on courageous dialogue, integrity, equity, resilience, and community building. To find out more, please visit leadershape.org or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And how will your institution rise to reach today's socially conscious generation? These students report commitments to safety, well-being, and inclusion are as important as academic rigor when selecting a college. It's time to reimagine the work of student affairs as an investment, not an expense. For over 20 years, Vector Solutions, which now includes the Campus Prevention Network, formerly EverFi, has been the partner of choice for more than 2,000 colleges and universities and national organizations. With nine efficacy studies behind their courses, you can trust and have full confidence that you're using the standard of care for student safety, well-being, and inclusion. Transform the future of your institution and the community you serve. Learn more at VectorSolutions.com slash Student Affairs Now. And a huge shout out to Nat Ambrosi, who we mentioned earlier, the production assistant for the podcast, who does all the behind the scenes work to make us look and sound good. If you're listening today and not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage to add your email to our MailChimp list. While you're there, check out the archives. I'm Keith Edwards. Thanks again to our fabulous guests today and to everyone who's watching and listening. Please make it a great week. Thank you all. 